Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. Good morning. Please have a seat. It's delightful to be here. You've got a fabulous auditorium, so congratulations, everybody, uh, for what you've done. And congratulations to your pastor. I've heard you referred to as Dazza and Bron. I'm just too formal for that. I'm, not, I'm never going to get to that point. <laughs> Try my hardest. It's delightful to be with you. Hey, today's uh, Pentecost Sunday. Um, so 50 days or 49 days after the events of Easter, of course. And nearly every Christian church views Pentecost Sunday as been the commencement of the church. It's that moment in time recorded in Acts chapter 2 where uh, the disciples are gathered in a room and um, praying and uh, seeking some direction from God. And of course, you'll know the events described so graphically where the uh, mighty wind rushes into the room and what appears to be tongues of fire come into the room and separate on each one of them. And they all begin to speak in other tongues. And then Peter goes out and preaches the first sermon and 3,000 people are saved. So pretty well all Christian churches view that as the beginning of the church. Pentecostal churches tend to go a bit further and say it's paradigmatic. The things occurring there in Acts chapter 2 should occur in the church fairly normally, fairly typically. I haven't seen too much wind rushing into the, the meetings at times or too many tongues of fire. I've heard people testify to them. But the idea is really that, uh, that God can break into our ordinary existence our ordinary, methodical, sometimes mundane existence and bring something fresh and special and different into our lives. And in a sense, that's the genius of Pentecostal Christianity, the openness to the possibility of God just spectacularly changing your life or our lives. Acts chapter 2. I'm not going to talk about Acts chapter 2 today, but I want to talk about um, the notion of the Spirit and I want to use the words of the Apostle Paul, who claims, who claims when he wrote to the Corinthians, to speak in tongues more than all of you. So uh, someone who claims a, a really uh, full experience of the Spirit. But I want to think about experience of the Spirit in terms of the way we get on with each other. And Paul talks about this in, in um, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. So there's our text. I think it will come up on the screen. If it doesn't, and if you've only got it on your phone... Just put it in flight mode. I've already got mine in flight mode. Um, I've learned to do that because uh, I noticed that if I didn't have it in flight mode and my son was in the congregation, he would send me messages throughout my sermon. So I've uh, managed to keep my son at bay by going into flight mode. But if you go into flight mode, then you can concentrate on me for a little while and on the text and what I have to say. So I'm going to stick with the text uh, the whole time. So if you've got it open, uh, keep it there. Verse 18, don't get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. It's a great word, isn't it? Makes you act stupid. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So they probably can't keep all that text up there, but if you've got your phone open, and keep it there, because we'll refer to the text several times this morning. Father, I pray as we look at your word that we won't just think thoughts about you, uh, but that we'll encounter you. So, Father, speak to us indeed. Reveal yourself to us through your word. I ask it in Jesus' powerful name. 
Amen. The text starts with a contrast. The apostle says, don't get drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. It's an interesting contrast, isn't it? Don't get drunk, rather be filled with the Spirit. Underlying the contrast, I think there's an assumption. I think the assumption of the apostle as he wrote this text is this. Everyone is trying to get the most out of life. Everyone's trying to maximize their life. Everyone's trying to enjoy their life, find meaning in their life, purpose in their life. Everyone's trying to live a life well lived. I think that's the assumption underneath the text. So let's just test the assumption. How many people here are trying to get the most out of life? Show me with your hand. Great. At least 50% of you. And the other 48% were you're psychologically unwell. Because emotionally healthy people try to get the most out of life. People who've got emotional disease, if you like, can retreat from life and can build up uh, fantasies and, and, and worlds in which they live that have nothing to do with the reality that we face. Healthy people address life, embrace life, and try to get the most out of life. So the apostle assumes you're all trying to get the most out of life, and he says, don't get drunk on wine. Why? Why do people get drunk on wine? And there are many, many reasons, aren't there? Some people get drunk because it helps them to forget things. So dull memories, dull emotions. Why would you do that? Because the memories and the emotions are too hurtful. And if you can dull them, you'll feel like you can cope with life a bit better. So it's sort of rational. You're trying to get more out of life. Young men drink a lot because it gives them confidence. I know they're more attractive to young women when they've had a few drinks. More articulate, more clever, more charming, better on the dance floor. True? So what's wrong with getting drunk on wine? It's a mirage. You've got the long straight roads and the mirage down there. and It's up there ahead and you drive up and when you get there, it's not there. It's gone. The promise it offered hasn't been delivered. It's disappeared. And so getting drunk on wine is a bit of a mirage. You thought you would be a hero. You thought everyone would think you're wonderful. You thought you were the life of the party. And you wake up the next morning with a headache, no money in your pocket, and people telling you what a fool you were last night. It's a mirage. It doesn't deliver what it promises. And by the way, the Bible's not down on, on having a glass of wine. It says don't get drunk. If you, if you read earlier in the chapter, and then you read from the previous chapter, from chapter 2, verse 1, the book of Ephesians essentially contrasts two ways of living. Essentially, it's a contrast all the way through there. And it talks about one as being darkness, and one as being light, and one as being foolishness, and one as being wise. It talks about other things as well. It talks about um, pursuing material gain, and suggests that that's a mirage as well. And most of us would like a bit more, wouldn't we? Yeah, a bit more money in the bank. Another car in the garage, another house on the property portfolio, whatever it is you're pursuing. And, uh, and the apostle would say to you, it's a mirage. You'll have a bit more, but it'll just be you with a bit more. Nothing will have changed. It appears to offer a lot, but there's not much there if you're trying to get the most out of life. He talks about sexual immorality there as well. Read that one as well. The idea, wow. My life would be a bit better if I could just add a bit more spice to my life. You're an idiot. 
don't do those things, they don't work. They don't deliver what they appear to promise. And so he contrasts these, what he calls foolish decisions, with the decision to be filled with the Spirit. So the first thing I want you to contemplate here this morning is that to be filled with the Spirit is not a church-specific experience. It's not just to speak in tongues or to be prayed for or to have some ecstatic encounter with God in church. All of that is included, but it's a way of life. To be filled with the Spirit is a way of life. It's an entire way of living your life. Now, that's my first point. And my second point is there, but you can't see it. It says, be filled with the Spirit. And if we're reading the Greek text, that would very clearly say, be filled by the Spirit. In English, it's a bit hard at times. But the notion of with is a tricky notion because you can fill a bucket with water. You can fill a room with sound. And so it's got an impersonal aspect to it. But in the Greek, it's very, very clear. It's be filled by the Spirit. It connotes the notion of the personality of the Spirit. And one of the tricky things in, in Christian thinking all the time is that we always understand God the Father as a person. Very easy. You've all got a father. For better or worse, you've all got a father and you've got an image of a father. And the son, Jesus the son, well, again, we've got narrative. We've got stories about him in the Gospels and you've all seen him in the movies. He's got blue eyes and long blonde hair. But there's an image. So it's easy to contemplate the person of the son and the person of the father. But, But often in Christian thinking, the Spirit is not really seen as a person. He's seen as an impersonal force. Um, and there's a bit of truth to that because the Spirit always tells you about Jesus. The Spirit doesn't boast very much. Uh, the impact of the Spirit in your life is that you'll want to worship Jesus. You want to declare allegiance to Jesus. You'll have faith in Jesus. So the Spirit's that person who always points to the other person. But still a person. In Christian thinking, the Spirit is a person. So be filled by the Spirit. Be filled by a person. Well, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? Be filled by a person. I was talking to someone here a little while ago, and she said, gee, you're a bit better dressed than the rest of us. Um, I said, I'm the speaker. It's okay. I'm allowed to do that. But if I, well, I will ask you, who do you think has the most influence on my choice of clothing? Yeah, indeed, my wife. My wife has the most influence on my choice of clothing. She really does. Over the years, she's completely undermined my confidence in, in, in uh, choosing clothing. Anytime I think it's a good choice, she says it's a bad choice. So it's a pretty tough gig. Um, but really, there's two types of men in the room today. There's men whose wife chooses their clothing and the men whose wife doesn't choose their clothing. It's pretty evident. It is. When it comes to my choice of clothing, my wife fills my life. Um, what does that mean? She has a significant influence over my clothing. So be filled is a bit of a metaphor. <laughs> Not entirely a metaphor, but it's a bit of a metaphor. Because what be filled simply means be influenced, be impacted, be directed, be led, be motivated, be guided. There's a person called the Spirit who wants to influence the life you live in the same way my wife influences the clothing that I wear. Spirit wants to clothe you. Be filled by the Spirit. 
is actually a command. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's a strong command. It's not a thought, not a suggestion, not an observation. It's a strong command. Be filled by the Spirit. But it's a very interesting command because it's a command to a passive action. Be filled. Now, if the command was pray more, I know exactly what to do. If the command was put more money in the offering, I know exactly what to do, whether I want to or not. I know exactly what to do. But be filled? How do I do that? What's your name? Hey, Frank. If I command Frank, and Frank looks like a guy who wants to get on with me, if, if I say, Frank, be carried to the back of the room, as willing as he is, he can't do it. He just can't do it. <clears throat> if three or four handsome young women wanted to pick him up and carry him to the back of the room, all he'd have to do is cooperate. Interesting command. It's a command to cooperate with the Spirit. Command to respond to the Spirit. And I don't know whether you know the overall New Testament perspective on the Spirit, but essentially the role of the Spirit is to connect us to Christ and to help us to become like Christ. You got me thinking this morning, the author and perfecter of our faith. I've never preached a sermon on that passage ever, but I think I'm going to. You really got me going. Because God, the Spirit, is at work in our lives. And the apostle says to the Corinthians, he says, that you and I who believe in Christ, and you believe in Christ because of the impact of the Spirit upon you, you and I who believe in Jesus Christ are being transformed, it says, transformed from glory to glory into the image of Jesus Christ by the Spirit. The Apostle John says that one day we will see Him and we'll be like Him. So this life, this Christian life, it's actually a pretty optimistic life. It contains the possibility of being better than you are and, the, and that you were. And one day we'll be like Christ. So there's a person called the Spirit who wants to lift you up above your inability, your incapacity, all of your excuses, all of your reasons why you can't get any better, do any better, change. wants to lift you above that and carry you toward the image of Jesus Christ. This life should be a life of progress, a life of transformation. Jesus Christ didn't just come and die the human death on our behalf. He lived the human life on our behalf. The New Testament says, the writer of the Hebrews says very clearly, He was just like you and I, tempted in every way, yet without sin. What does that mean? He lived the human life the way that God intended the human life to be lived and exists as the true human and as our possibility. Jesus Christ is our destination. We're being transformed into His image. There's a person called the Holy Spirit who wants to change you to be more like Him. And the more He succeeds, the better off the rest of us will be. You can turn and look at your neighbor and say that. And the more He succeeds, the better off the rest of us will be. So what does it look like? What does it look like when the Holy Spirit starts to change you and me? Well, the next verse describes it. It's quite interesting if we're reading this again in the Greek text. See where it says, instead, that full stop there. Well, that starts a sentence that goes all the way to the end of verse 21. So it's one long sentence. And the sentence has a core to it. The core is what you're reading. Be filled by the Spirit. Be influenced by the Spirit. Be changed by the Spirit. And, and hanging under that, there are four 
clauses, participles if you like. And the first one says, speak to one another. So be filled by the Spirit and speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Be filled by the Spirit. Number two, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Be filled by the Spirit. Number three, always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be filled by the Spirit. Number four, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I'd like to think about these things for a minute. By the way, it's no means exhaustive. Just read any of Paul's letters and he'll talk about other evidences of the impact of the Spirit and the Word upon your life. But specifically, he says, be filled by the Spirit and do these things. So be filled by the Spirit. Number one, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's an interesting thought. It's a little counterintuitive, actually. Be filled by the Spirit and speak to God with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The three words are sort of synonymous, but the word psalms definitely refers to the psalms, the 150 in the Psalter in the Old Testament. Speak to one another with psalms. Just try it for a moment. Just turn to your neighbour and speak to them with a psalm. Look them right in the eyes and say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. It's a little... Like, that's the stuff weird people in church do, isn't it? So what's the apostle on about here? Well, what are the Psalms? Think about them for a minute. The Psalms, and by the way, statistically, the book of Psalms should be called the book of complaints because there's more complaints than Psalms in there than declarations of praise. But the book of Psalms essentially are declarations of praise to God from the reality of the life you're living. They don't come from special, exclusive, privileged places. Ordinary people, particularly, of course, uh, King David, ordinary people declaring praise to God. And think about some of the Psalms. David says, I'm stuck in a cave. The whole world hates me. They're trying to kill me. I can't even get a drink of water. Life's tough. Yet will I praise you. You will redeem me. So the Psalms are not unrealistic. The Psalms recognize that life contains pain and difficulties and opposition. Things do go wrong for people of faith. Bad things sometimes happen to good people. But the Psalms always end up with a declaration that God is for me. God is on my side. Even if he doesn't redeem me in this life, he'll redeem me in the next. I will praise him. If you want to look at the book of Psalms as a whole, there's a shape to it. It's not just arbitrary in its arrangement. And Psalm 1 says, praise God because he looks after every, everyone. He looks after the faithful. Psalm 150 says, praise God with no reason. No reason in Psalm 150. And the shape of the Psalms is to take you from obedience to adoration, from serving God forget, to get something from God, to serving God just because God is God and has revealed himself to you and you should praise and worship and adore God. Be filled by the Spirit and speak to one another with words of praise for God with testimony to God's goodness and God's glory and God's majesty and what God has done in your life. In other words, be filled by the Spirit and encourage one another by talking about the good things of God. Now we talk about lots of things, don't we? I've heard this morning the weather and the footy. Weather and the footy. Good examples. Because uh, if we talk about the weather, a lot of times we'll depress each other. And sometimes we're happy. If we talk about the footy, most of us are depressed. And some of you are happy. 
So nothing wrong with that. We live in the world. If you live in Sydney, what do you talk about? Property prices. <laughs> That's all we talk about. We sit down in our cafes, drinking our flat whites, and, uh, and say, so, well, property prices are on the up. Um, that's all we talk about. We're very boring people in Sydney. <laughs> Nothing wrong with talking about all the things because you're ordinary people living in an ordinary world. But if that's all we bring to our fellowship in Jesus Christ, that's not good enough. You need to bring to this congregation a declaration of God's goodness and God's miraculous capacity to reach into your life and into my life. And your testimony of His goodness might be exactly what I need today. Be filled by the Spirit and speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Be filled by the Spirit. Number two, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. And that simply means that when the Spirit has an impact upon you and upon me, we worship God. Lift our hands maybe, we kneel maybe. What if we do? We praise and we worship God. I think the most definite, clear, consistent evidence of the impact of the Spirit upon me is my attitude to praise and worship. And when it's a joy and ease, I think, yeah, the Spirit's at work in me. And when it gets a little creaky and a bit rusty and a bit grumpy, uh, maybe I need something. I read uh, years ago, in fact, I didn't read, I saw a documentary about uh, that Hurricane Alley or Tornado Alley in, in the middle of the United States. Tornadoes come through there. And you know when a tornado comes through there, there's only one creature stupid enough to still be there when the tornado hits. It's you and I, human beings. Humans and the animals that we put in paddocks and they can't get out. Every other creature detects minute changes in barometric pressure and they go to ground or they go to the next state. They get out of the way. They can detect a change. Bang! They're on their way. And for me, my attitude to worship is clearly the barometer of the impact of the Spirit upon my life. And when the Spirit is influencing me, I want to cry out, Abba, Father. I want to reach out to God. I want to respond to his love revealed to me in Jesus Christ. The Spirit causes me. Praise God. We have uh, five grandchildren. And um, our littlest, our second littlest, just turned two this, this Thursday. And he's at a, two's a cute age. And, uh, and whenever he sees me, or sees Sandra for that matter, when he sees us, he starts doing this. Big smile comes on his face and his arms come out and he runs on the spot for a couple of minutes and then he gets momentum and he runs across the room and he jumps into our arms. If he was here today, he'd look at all you lovely, wonderful people and he'd ignore every one of you. He'd run past every one of you and he'd run to me and he'd jump in my arms. And that's because uh, I've been bribing him since he was born. Little gifts. I sing little songs, I whisper in his ear, Pop loves Patrick, and Patrick loves Pop. More than the other grandparents. <laughs> it's competitive sport being a grandparent. You need to be aware of it. So Patrick loves me in his two-year-old way of loving. He loves me because I first loved him. It's as simple as that. Patrick's love is a response to my love. Patrick's love is running into my arms because my arms are open, wide and welcoming. And that's essentially what worship is. Nothing more technical than that. It's running into the arms 
a father who walks down the road towards a prodigal son and opens his arms in embrace and says, come home and I'll make a big feast for you. Be filled by the Spirit and praise and worship God. Be filled by the Spirit and give thanks always to the Father for everything in Jesus Christ. That's interesting. Spirit-filled people are optimistic people. I know we say they're people of faith and I believe that, but, but that outworks in our psychology, in our psyche, that outworks as optimism. Spirit-filled people are optimistic. They believe actually that God's alive. They believe that God works in the affairs of human beings. They believe that God responds to prayer. They believe that God can actually change circumstances as we ask him to. Spirit-filled people are optimistic people. Now, we have pessimists in church, don't we? And we have grumbly people in church and whingy people in church. You're in Tamworth. You read that poem, said Hanrahan? It's a good New South Wales country poem. You should read it. We'll all be ruined, said Hanrahan, before the year is out. You need to go home and put that in Google when you get out of flight mode. And have a read. Because it's said in a church. It's a series of conversations after church. You need to read it. Hanrahan. You don't want too many Hanrahans in your church, I tell you. And we do have those people in church, and really all they need to do is get saved, and I think God will help them. Um, Because the impact of the Spirit upon you is to engender optimism. We call it faith. That sounds a little bit too spiritual. It's really optimism that God can do something in our life. The story I love most in regard to this is that of um, uh, Joseph in the Old Testament. And you know the story, don't you, really well? Uh, Looked after by his father, favoured by his father, hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, or just avoided being killed by his brothers. <laughs> and his life goes through these, these turns, these ups and these downs. And in the end, you know the story, he's the, uh, the, the prime minister or the chief economist of the, uh, the land of Egypt, uh, serving only the Pharaoh. And in the providence of God, his brothers have to come down there to find um, food and shelter in the midst of a drought. And the story goes on. Jacob, the whole family come down. They, they live under uh, Joseph's protection. But then a day comes when Jacob, when the dad dies, and the brothers, who've been thinking about their treachery for the last 40 years, they get together and they say, we better go and tell Joseph that just before dad died, he told us that you should forgive us. Read it, Genesis 50. And so they come and give this story they've concocted. And Joseph looks at them across the table and he says this. He says, you guys intended this for evil, but God intended this for good, for the saving of many lives. And that's a wonderful declaration of faith, but it's also a fabulous attitude. What a fabulous attitude. And I hope that you believe along with me that he causes all things to work together for good for those who love him who are called according to his purposes. That nothing in all of creation can separate me or you from his love in Christ Jesus. That he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or indeed imagine according to his power at work in us in Christ Jesus and dozens of other verses of similar intent. The Holy Spirit causes us to believe in a God who cares for us and who moves in our lives as we ask him to. He engenders optimism in us. And then it says, be filled by the Spirit and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Spirit-filled people 
know how to serve one another. Spirit-filled people know how to put the interests of others ahead of their own. We could spend a whole lot of time here talking about the nature of the God whom we love and serve, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, dwelling in eternal, harmonious, loving unity. And there's a lot of power in that thought there, that um, we, in reflecting God, should find a way to live for the sake of those around and about us. Read Philippians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul spells it out to us. Spirit-filled people know how to serve. Now, sometimes the best way that I can serve you is to tell you off. Seriously. But I can't tell you off unless you are prepared to listen to me. And you won't be prepared to listen to me unless you feel I've earned the right to be listened to. And you won't feel I've earned the right to be listened to unless you've seen that I'm interested in your best interest, that I'm willing to serve you. So I can't tell you off unless you believe that I'm serving you. Now, sometimes going to church, in Sydney anyway, uh, sometimes going to church is like going to the show, uh, the Easter show. Have you been to the Easter show? I'm sure you have. And you probably go and look at all the wonderful animals. I try to. I get pretty bored pretty quickly. Um, and my grandkids get pretty bored pretty quickly. So the show's more about the rides, isn't it? Uh, there's all sorts of rides at the show. And there's some pretty cool rides at the show. There's, um, well, there's a, a roller coaster. You ever called the roller coaster? You go and you get on it here. You pay your money, you get on here and you go up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And you get back off where you got on and you feel sick. And some people in church are roller coasters. There's a ride at the show called Bumper Cars. You ever been on Bumper Cars? Oh, I haven't been on for about 20 years. I won't go on them again. Not in this life. Um, and so you pay your money and you get on the bumper car here and you come out here and basically other people try and break your back. Bang, 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 bang. And then you get off where you got on, having paid your money, and you got a sore neck. And some people are bumper cars. There's a ride at the show called the merry-go-round, the carousel. It makes sweet sounds and goes nowhere. There's a ride at the show called the House of Horror. Imagine that. When the show was at Moore Park, it used to have a ride. It used to have a chairlift. They don't have it at Homebush now. But it had a chairlift. And you could get on the chairlift over there and you could go up and you could ride all the way across the showground. Did anyone ever go on this? All the way across the showground. And it was pretty cool because at the show you get exhausted. And to sit in a chairlift up above everybody else for about 10 minutes... It was magnificent. And you go across and there's a kid dropped an ice cream and mum's trying to help the kid and dad's looking at a tractor and the kid's screaming its eyes out and, and there's the pigs over there and they smell but they're not too close to you. And, you know, all the mess is down there. And you're just cruising across the top of that. And when you get off the uh, chairlift, you've gone from there to there. And I reckon if the Holy Spirit was going to cause you to be a ride at the show, he'd cause you to be a chairlift. You take people from where they are, help them to rise above the nonsense of their life and take them towards their destiny in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that everyone in this room is God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for them to do. Every person here's life has purpose and shape, meaning destiny in Jesus Christ. 
And my impact upon you and your impact upon me should be to help me get there. Be a cheerlift. Well, we're nearly done. I just want to point out one more thing. Where it says, be filled by the Spirit, it could be translated, be being filled by the Spirit. It has what we call a present continuous tense. Be being filled by the Spirit. It's a clumsy way to translate. So we say, be filled by the Spirit. But be being filled is an interesting idea, isn't it? What it really means is that the experience of the influence of the Spirit is always now. It's not in the future. It's not in the past. It's now. We went for dinner last night. It was really nice dinner. I was going to have the fish, but they talked me into the steak. Um, but my wife and I shared the steak, and it was, it was good. It was a really nice steak. And, and we even had a dessert. We shared a dessert. We're virtuous. We share uh, because we're at that age where calories count. And, had the, and, you know, at the end of the meal, I was completely full. This morning, Sandra said, should we have some brekkie? And I said, I don't really want any brekkie, but I wandered down with her and had about three, three um, cornflakes. It just wasn't, wasn't hungry because that meal really, really filled me up. But just like you, I'm starting to feel hungry now. Just starting to feel the first pangs. Not pangs, really, just hints. The pangs will come in a while um, of hunger. If I don't eat again, that meal last night will last me, some, some people say 40 days. But I'll die. I will die sooner than I intended if I don't have another meal. And I suggest that if your last experience of the influence of the Spirit, the leading of the Spirit in your life is 40 days ago, you're on life support. You're on the verge of dying. I reckon the room's full of fabulous testimonies of wonderful things that have happened in your life when you've heard and responded to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I reckon it's full of My question is, how old are the stories? Because if they're too old, you're malnourished. If they're too old... You're becoming decrepit. There's a person called the Holy Spirit who wants to influence the person that you are, wants to lift you above your incapacity, your excuses, your history, and help you to become more like Jesus Christ. Indeed, wants to translate you into the image of Christ. And when that person's at work in your life, you'll know at least four things. You'll be someone who inspires us by your positive testimony to God's work in your life. You'll be an encourager. You'll be a worshipper. We'll be inspired by your enthusiasm for God. You'll be an optimist. You lift us up as you believe when sometimes we're mired in our disbelief. And you'll serve us. You'll help us. You'll put our interests ahead of your own interests. You'll try and help us become more like Christ. And that person is always at work in the here and the now. Right now, the Holy Spirit is in this room. And I reckon the Holy Spirit's talking to people right now. Speaking to you. So let's just close our eyes lift our hands maybe and let's just say Holy Spirit here I am fill me Holy Spirit here I am 
exert your influence on me. Speak to me, Spirit of God. Challenge me. Encourage me. Change me, Holy Spirit. Change me. I have two very quick questions. Just keep praying where you are. First one would relate to only a minority of people here today. Everything I've said here today is for people who've actually asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, who place their faith in Jesus. As soon as you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit starts doing what I described today. And I do wonder if there's anyone here today who's never really definitely, deliberately, consciously placed their faith in Jesus Christ, never asked Jesus Christ to come into their life and forgive their sins. Now, if that's you today and you want to say, Jesus, here I am. Come and change me. Give me a little wave and say, yeah, that's me. This morning, anyone in that boat? Jesus, I believe. Help me to believe. Jesus, I want to commit my life to you. I can't see any hands there. It doesn't matter. You can do that in your heart anyway. My second question is to the rest of us. Has the Holy Spirit challenged you this morning? Has the Holy Spirit just put his finger of influence on something in your life this morning and said, respond? And if he has and you want to, then would you give me a, a wave of the hand and say, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's brilliant. Lots and lots and lots of people. You know, my hand's up. I've always got to reaffirm my response to the Holy Spirit. Pray for these people, Father. I pray, as I prayed at the beginning, that this would be a moment of encounter with you. We love your word. We want to think about it. We want to meditate upon it. We want to be changed by it. But we really do want to encounter you through it. And I pray just now, Holy Spirit, touch each one of these people who raise their hand. Meet them at the point of their response. Show them how to change. Give them hope and faith and optimism that they can change. And I pray that this will be one of those moments in their life of significant transition toward the image of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. It's been delightful to be with you. Bless you. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.